Hi, everyone, and welcome to the episode 320 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's episode is Silent Suffering. My name is Michelle McCune, and I'm so excited to be co-hosting this episode with Matthew Sabatello as we interview Lauren Murphy. While Lauren was diagnosed with Lyme disease when she was nine years old, it didn't wreak havoc in her life until she was 20 years old. Today, Lauren shares her inspiring story of her battle with tick-borne infections and how she has advocated for herself in her healing journey, dealing with brain inflammation, neuropathy, arthritis, and so many more symptoms. If you'd like to learn more how Lauren has used an arsenal of therapies to treat chronic Lyme disease, check out her book titled Silent Suffering, Finding God's Faithfulness in Chronic Lyme Disease. I'm excited to learn more about her journey as we talk to her in this interview. Welcome, Lauren. We are so excited to be learning more about your journey today. I would love for you to share with us where you live and what you are up to now. Yeah, so I live in Tennessee. Um, my husband and I recently just moved back from Colorado to Tennessee where like my family lives. Um, and yeah, I published a book just about my journey with Lyme this year and I'm working on a second book that I'm going to publish in the beginning of next year, in January next year. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of taking it slow, healing, trying to just take care of myself and doing some freelance work and stuff. But my main thing I'm focusing on is just helping the Lyme community. And um, yeah. So you're in Tennessee now, but you were just in Colorado. I actually just moved to Colorado. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely a big, a pretty big Lyme community out here, which is nice to kind of just be meeting new people and also looking into different integrative medicine therapies as well. Um, so you, you grew up in Tennessee, you moved to Colorado. Now you're back in Tennessee. And is that where you and your family are? And yeah, I lived in Michigan until I was like 12. Um, and that's actually where I originally got Lyme and then moved to Tennessee when I was 12 and then lived in Tennessee for like six years and then kind of lived all over. And now I'm back in Tennessee. Yeah. And yes, my family, um, my, my mom and stepdad are here in Tennessee and sister and brother and everybody. So, yeah. Okay. That's nice that you have community helping you with treatment. Yes. It's really nice being back home. So, so when did your symptoms begin and how did they develop over time? So it's really hard to explain like all of it, but I basically, as a really young kid, like when I was, it's, I don't have much memory of like my childhood, but I definitely had a lot of like arthritis and like just kind of crippling symptoms as a really little kid. Um, and then when I was nine years old, I did get diagnosed with Lyme. And then um, it was, I was on really heavy antibiotics and everything like that for probably about a year and a half. Um, and so I don't really remember like most of my symptoms. I just remember like getting really weird rashes, you know, my face being pale white, um, not being able to go to school, not being able to like walk from one room to the other. And then when I was about 12, when we moved to Tennessee, um, I remember I was like improving and then it just, it got a lot better during my teen years and I was a runner and I loved running. And then basically when I was 18 is when it got really bad again. Um, and I was living in another country. I was living in Panama at the time and I started just developing, um, chronic pain more prominently on my left side. And then a lot of neurological symptoms. And then that turned into like, just, I don't even know how to like, I have my book next to me that has like all the symptoms. So it's really a lot like you guys saw in the paper I filled out, but yeah, hey, just Lauren, a lot of quick symptoms. question, Lauren, about this. So you were sick almost your whole life, but you were diagnosed when you were nine, correct? Yes. Do you think that you possibly had congenital Lyme that it was given to you in utero by your mother? 
I truly have no idea. Like we've, we've had that conversation. We don't know. Um, you know, I don't really have much of a memory from before nine. So I don't really remember how I was younger. Um, but it definitely could be a possibility. My mom's never tested for it. Um, so yeah, I don't and know. Your, and your symptoms though, once you treated when you were nine, got mostly better. You sound like you mostly fully recovered up until later on in life when you were at around 20-ish, I guess, right? Is that is that right? Uh, like 18. Yeah. 18. I was doing okay. really well for like six years. Yeah. And that was just from antibiotics, you said? Um, I took a lot of different rounds of a lot of different antibiotics for a very long period of time with obviously no, you know, gut support and stuff like that. So I still had a lot of like issues, like just immune issues. Like I got a really bad cough every winter and like I had mono like all the time. I had a lot of different just sicknesses as I was, as I was going through my teen years. But as far as like the Lyme symptoms went, like I was fully functioning. I could run. I was way better than, than once I turned 18 and stuff. So. So around nine is when your symptoms were more severe. You finally got a diagnosis. Uh, you started treatment and you never saw a rash. You never saw a tick bite. So yeah, it could possibly have been congenital transmission. We don't know. And then it seems like the antibiotic treatment did help you move forward. You were able to kind of, it seems like be social and, uh, and active and athletic. And uh, what were some of your passions before you got more symptomatic later in life in your 20s? Um, I was super social. I just like, I loved being with friends. I was kind of like a just, yeah, social butterfly. I loved running. Running was like my outlet for everything. Um, so I was a huge runner. I was planning to run in college. Um, and what else did I, I mean, I've always loved painting even during sickness. I love painting. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of what other things I love to do. I mean, yeah, just doing fun stuff with friends and um, just being a lot more social than than when I got really sick. Yeah, so Lyme didn't seem to control your world. You were able to go to college and pursue different things that you wanted to pursue. Um, when you when you started getting these symptoms again, did you think like, oh no, like, is this Lyme disease? Uh, were you confused on, on why you were having these symptoms? Did you ever see a tick bite that could have caused a relapse? Um, how did that all happen? Yeah, so basically like when, so I actually didn't go to college um, when I, was when I graduated high school and I was told I had two really severe injuries to my spine. And um, basically I was told you can't run in college, you can't run competitively anymore. And so that was really hard for me. And so I just decided to like pursue something entirely different. And I decided to move to Panama to work with an organization called YWAM. Um, basically it's like, we did a lot of service and we were like with the Indian tribes down there. It was really cool. So basically down there was when I started developing all these really crazy symptoms and had even more severe periods. And it was kind of just the perfect storm. Like I was living in a moldy environment. I had really bad water quality. I was, you know, bathing in rivers, obviously getting parasites, like you get the picture. So um, Lyme wasn't crossing my mind at that point, surprisingly. Um, like my family and I weren't educated on how Lyme works and like remission and flares and how a lot of times, you know, how it can come back and everything. So it just didn't cross my mind at that point. And my brain had kind of blocked out most of childhood, including getting Lyme. So I was just confused. Um, so I saw different doctors and they said, like one of them said I had kidney stones. One ER doctor said I had, I just had a pulled muscle, um, like just really random stuff. And then after that, 
I ended up getting um, some vaccines and shots. I had to go to Trinidad and Tobago and we were planning to go to Peru and India after that. I did a lot of traveling. So I got really, really sick after those um, vaccines and stuff. And then after that, I moved to Mexico. Like I said, I have kind of a crazy story, but during that time, um, you know, I really was just, I was really sick and I, and I didn't know what to do. And like, I thought about like, should I go home? And I would come home. Like I would come back for a couple of weeks and, you know, see my general doctor, whoever, and they would be like, you know, it's this, it's, you know, ovarian cyst, it's, you know, uh, depression, you need antidepressants, um, you know, you need pain meds and different stuff. It was not any sort of like holistic route. So I just didn't really know like what to do. Um, and basically I finally came home when I was 19 years old and I got a CAT scan. I've got a colonoscopy. I got an MRI. Um, I saw a back surgeon just cause I was having such chronic back pain. Um, my general doctor had me on birth control, um, like for the ovarian cysts. I saw a pain management doctor, um, which was a little bit of a tra tra traumatic experience, but I can tell, talk about that after, but basically by the time I was 20, I was hooked on pain meds. Um, because I just didn't know what else to do. And I remember Lyme like crossing my mind and being like, wait a second, I had Lyme. And, you know, I did mention it to um, my family and stuff, but it's like, it's hard to explain everything because like we as a family just went through, we grew up in a really toxic and abusive environment. And so we just like, didn't really remember much of anything from my childhood. So it was like, we didn't want to go back to that. And so Lyme was like part of that, I guess, kind of, mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. And so we just like, everybody was like, oh, you don't have Lyme, you know? And I was like, well, I had it really bad as a kid. And so it was just hard because I didn't really like have, didn't really know like where to turn or what to do. And I finally got to see a Lyme doctor when I was 22. Um, so, so that was like a few questions before we get into um, the Lyme doctor, because I definitely want to know more about that. But I was just going to say it it's frustrating because having a history with tick-borne infections, you know, there's all these different recovery factors that play a role into how bad your symptoms get. And it seems like, um, yeah, like you said, it was the perfect storm. So as, as you got older, it was the environment, possibly living in a moldy environment and then vaccines. I see that a lot, unfortunately, with, um, with certain genetics or if people have certain tick-borne infections, it can cause a relapse of these infections. Uh, and then really not knowing how to navigate it because I'm sure you're going to different doctors and, and talking about these symptoms, but a lot of times Lyme isn't popping up. How many doctors did you see uh, until you, you were like, oh, wait a second, like this, this actually does seem like it's probably Lyme disease again? I think it was like eight. So not a ton, but also a good amount. So I think it was around like eight or so. What kind of doctors did you see? I know you said you, you like saw a back specialist because you were having a lot of back pain. And then what other ones? Um, I saw a neurologist who put me on like nerve medication stuff. I don't really remember stuff for my nerves. Um, I saw yeah, the back surgeon. Um, I think I saw like multiple just kind of generalish doctors who like, I had no, no idea what I was in for. So, you know, I'm over here thinking like, okay, we'll, we'll get it taken care of in like two, three weeks. Like it's not a big deal. And, um, and I saw the pain management doctor. And then I saw another like pain specialist guy who had like these traction machines where it like pulls your spine and like 
And it caused so much like ovarian pain because I also had endometriosis, which I didn't know. Um, hey, Lauren, can so- I, can, sorry to interrupt you there, but I do, I do want to focus on this, especially while we have Michelle on, because this is something that's really common and it's hard for me to ask questions about or even relate to. But we know with Lyme disease comes a lot of issues. Endometriosis seems to be almost a one for one when it comes to chronic Lyme patients. Having menstrual issues, I mean, all kinds of surgeries for menstrual issues. If you could just go into what those issues were. And, you know, now looking back, do you believe that they were connected to Lyme? And Michelle, what your thoughts are on these things as well? Because we know inflammation is a, is a trigger, you know, a trigger for a lot of things, Lyme disease. And I believe it is for these types of issues as well. But I just want to get your perspectives on what symptoms popped up and how you think they could be connected to Lyme disease? Yeah. So, I mean, I really just was having absolutely awful periods, just really painful. Um, and then I was having, you know, ruptured ovarian cyst, which is also not very comfortable. Um, and was just having a lot of, yeah, like irregular cycles, everything like that. Like sometimes they lasted, you know, two weeks and, just like everybody on the podcast says, you know, you're just down and out that whole time because it really um, flares up the line as well. So that was kind of what it was like for many different, for many years. And then I had like a, a lap, uh, had two different laparoscopies to get it removed. So that would, yeah, laparoscopy. Um, and the interesting thing with that, I guess like my take on it, especially with my life specialist that I see in Pennsylvania now, like his whole thing is like endometriosis in a sense, this is just his opinion is that it's kind of this blanket thing where like there, people are getting like constant surgeries to get it taken care of, but it's not dealing with the root issue. And he thinks like parasites and Epstein bar and stuff like that is what really, um, like fuels that and Lyme obviously. And I will say that when I started getting rid of literally like hundreds of parasites in 2020, I started getting way more relief with my periods, way less symptoms. And then it just like got better. And then with the Epstein bar and everything. So whenever that stuff's flaring up more, it makes like my period worse, but I feel like all that stuff, it's kind of just like a, you know, a cluster of crap. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky because I feel like the tick-borne infections will attack wherever you're genetically weak. And so a lot of times it'll attack people's hormones. And then you, you do see a huge correlation with endometriosis and tick-borne infections. And especially when you are going through your cycle, having a flare up. Um, so it was good to kind of the physician that you were working with, I'm impressed that he was able to recognize that there is a correlation and that by treating tick-borne infections, lowering the pathogenic load, lowering inflammation, you can start seeing some symptom improvement. Besides endometriosis diagnosis, and then also back issues, was there any other um, conditions that you were diagnosed with? Um, I think one person, I don't know if it was like, I think depression was one. I mean, I was put on antidepressants, even though I wasn't depressed. (laughs) Um, And then lupus, um, and I think that was about it. Yeah. And what types of tests did you do when you were seeing these different doctors? And also what was the test that actually gave you your, your positive for, for Lyme disease? Um, honestly, I don't remember like any specific testing other than blood testing with like these doctors I was seeing before the Lyme doctor I saw in Tennessee, but yeah, the Lyme doctor in Tennessee, he did an hygienics test and confirmed that it was Lyme still. So, yeah. So you did hygienics. It got your positive diagnosis of Lyme. Did you test for any co-infections as well? Like Bartonella, Ericlia, Babesia? All of those. Yes. <laughs> um, Babesia, Ehrlichia, uh, Bartonella. I hate Bartonella. Um, <laughs> Rickettsia. Um, I think those were the four main ones. I think there's been a few here and there that have popped up, but those were the four main ones. Lauren, I want to just ask you a quick question because now we're, we're talking about your what you were diagnosed with, but I know leading up to this, your symptoms were really, really deep and full body, right? So can you just give us a 
bigger picture of how sick you really were. Because from your pre-interview questionnaire, you talked about neuropathy, nerve pain, right? Unbearable neck and back pain, brain inflammation, loss of energy, heart palpitations, weakness and numbness, cognitive dysfunction, heat intolerance, memory loss, insomnia, chest pain, right? Like, can you just build out this picture of how sick you were and how much impacted your life before your diagnosis? I mean, honestly, before I got the diagnosis, like, I just, like, aside from all of that physical stuff, like, I just felt like a complete lost cause and was like, I just felt really alone for years. Um, And as far as like, how sick I was, like, I was really just in bed at my in my mom's bonus room, just felt like I was just you know, dwindling away. I had like really, I mean, like all those symptoms, they kind of just, um, progressively like came on and, um, you know, I, I just, I had a hard time doing any basic things, you know, opening a jar, cooking, you know, getting down the stairs. And I mean, I would say for the last decade, those symptoms, get can get really bad and then sometimes they get better and it's just kind of this like ebb and flow and like slowly gradually it's gotten in some ways I feel like I've been able to handle it and manage it a lot easier and and then in other ways some of those things have dwindled away but it was it's kind of hard to explain all of it but I mean when I that was like when I was 20 and then I was in a wheelchair when I was 27 or yeah, 27. Um, so it's like, it was really bad, but then it got worse. Um, but Lauren, you got diagnosed when you were in your early twenties again with Lyme, right. And then at 27, you were wheelchair bound. So this is something that you dealt with throughout most of your twenties. Yeah. My, all my twenties I've dealt with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm still dealing with that on a moment to moment basis. It's just, I feel like I just have a lot more tools to deal with it, but yeah. And your, your doctors, none of them, cause you said you thought Lyme and you kept saying it's your family and doctors. Were they testing you again to see if Lyme were still a part of the picture because you had it when you were nine or were your doctors simply ignoring you until you found your Lyme doctor? Yeah, they were all ignoring me until I found my Lyme doctor. So, I mean, I was told crazy things. I was told, you know, one, one random doctor who my mom took me to see, I think he was just a general doctor. He was just like, it's your lifestyle. Like I was eating healthy. There was nothing that I was even doing. Like just saying like, yeah, you're just, you know, oh, you just must be stressed out. Like just wouldn't give me the time of day with anything. And even the Lyme doctor, I did see he, the first one in Tennessee. I mean, I would see him for maybe five minutes and then he just wasn't thorough with what he was doing at all. So it's, it's really hard to find a good Lyme doctor <laughs> for sure. So now you have your diagnosis with a plethora of um, tick-borne infections and then also environmental toxins. What were some of the treatments that you did and uh, that helped you move forward? So um, basically once I saw that one doctor in um, Tennessee, I ended up starting treatment in Canada, which is kind of a long story, but I found these two Lyme specialists in Vancouver who were just really good. It's, I mean, I could go into that story, but I don't know if we, if I should go into that whole story, but yeah, if, Lauren, I, if you can, because you, your Lyme doctor that diagnosed you isn't the Lyme doctor that you decided to treat with. And then you found other doctors or am I mistaken with that? Yeah, that, yeah, I found a lot of other doctors. Yeah. So he, I only saw him for maybe four months or something. And then, um, he had me on low dose naltrexone, which personally for me, and maybe it was just the time that I took it. Cause I was just, couldn't, I don't know what the deal was, but I was not doing well with it at all. Um, and so I ended up Basically, I had a friend and her family and her church, like her whole community in Canada, they just were like, hey, we just want to extend this, like we want to offer you to come up here just kind of as like a fresh start. Like at that point, I was just kind of at a loss of what to do health wise and in every other way, like I kind of just lost my sense of identity at that point. So I went up there and I was 
fundraising for this in this Lyme Institute in Florida. And when I was talking with, I would, you know, do regular calls with the, you know, front desk people. And at first it was like maybe eight grand that I was fundraising for. And like within a month or two, they upped it to like, I think 70 or 80 grand that they wanted me to pay for it. And I was like, there's no way, like, I don't have any money. Like I can't do that. So I ended up being like, okay, what do I do? So I called, it was super random, but I found the Canadian Lyme Disease Association director. I don't know if he still is. I think he is. His name's Jim Wilson. And I just found his number and called him like very random. And I was just like, he, and he answered the phone, which was like even more surprising. And he was like, tell me your story. Like, tell me everything that's happened. And so I just went into it and told him like, this is, you know, where I'm at. I have no idea what to do. And he said, the only two people I would recommend to you at this point is Dr. Eric Chan and Dr. Julie Moore in Vancouver, Canada. And there are two naturopaths out there. And so I was like, all right. So I flew across because I was on the east side of Canada. I flew to the west um, to Vancouver and I didn't know anybody. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go over there and figure this out. So I started seeing these Lyme doctors and I was doing IVs. I was doing, um, cholestyramine. I was doing, uh, what else do we start me on? Um, nutritional IVs. Lauren, I'm going to interrupt real quick. So, you know, I want to talk more about this treatment, but when you did the immune therapy, you said that really didn't help at first with your first Lyme doctor, correct? You think that was because it was too early or do you think that it wasn't an effective treatment for your particular case? Uh, you're talking about low dose naltrexone or I'm sorry, I'm saying uh, low dose naltrexone. I apologize. Yes. Yeah. I honestly, I don't know, but I like, wait, what was the question again? Do you think, do you think it was because it was too early to use that as a treatment tool because you didn't do anything else yet? Or do you think it just wasn't a good tool for you with your particular situation with your co-infections? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it might've been too early. Um, and I, I never tried it again just because I had such a bad reaction to it. So I never did it again, but yeah, I mean, I was on it for a good amount of time to where I was like, I just don't think this is the right fit for me. So yeah, I don't know. The, the interesting thing about LDN, um, So a lot of clients that I work with, we start super, super slow and at a very low doses, like 0.5. And then like, we'll have them on that for a few weeks until we go to one milligrams, 1.5, two, and then get up to like 4.5. But I've noticed that if, if people are very sensitive and they start at higher dosages and go too fast, then it doesn't really give their body a chance to work. Um, and you know, it's, it's not a, um, it's not a medication for everybody and I'm not big into medications, but LDN is one of the ones that I feel like can be helpful, um, like risk benefit, uh, because it modulates the immune system, it lowers inflammation. So I almost wonder like if you had started at a lower dose and titrated very, very slowly, how your body would have done. Mm, Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely could be something I could do in the future again. I don't know, but I've heard many people say it's been great for them. So, yeah. So then you, you started on LDN and then you started seeing a doctor who recommended different infusions. Can you tell us a little bit about what type of infusions you guys received? Um, they were all like nutritional IVs. It was very like specific. I, I had like the cocktail down to a T of what it was. Cause when I would like come back to Tennessee, I would give it to, you know, different IVs technicians and be like, this is exactly what my doctor gave me that helped me. But I know I had a lot of vitamin C, a ton of glutathione, uh, taurine, selenium, zinc, um, a few other things like that. So that was in the IVs. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and then you also, um, had mentioned, uh, earlier that you did LDI, so low dose immunotherapy. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that works and if that helped you move, move you forward? Yes. Yeah, so I did low dose or LDI and 
that really did not, I didn't see good results from it. I did it with a naturopath in Seattle and, um, it's like, it's all such a blur because I've done treatment for 10 years. So it's like, okay, okay. LDI. I mean, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't improving with it. I was really bed bound during that whole time. And I, I gave it a good shot and I just wasn't improving. So yeah, I didn't do good with that one either. So was there a specific thing that they were working on with the LDI? Like sometimes it's mold, sometimes it's Lyme disease, um, sometimes it's histamine, or they give a certain antigen at a low dose. So your body becomes more resistant uh, or isn't as affected by it. Uh, was there one specifically that they were working on with you? It was Lyme with LDI, but I will say that the whole mold stuff didn't come up until very recently. And that's actually been like the biggest, I think, problem through all of this. So, um, yeah, the mold was just something that everybody overlooked all the Lyme people, all the Lyme doctors I saw. So that wasn't being targeted and, um, same with the B venom therapy, which you might ask about that, but I, I had a really bad reaction to bee venom therapy um, and it was really scary and ended up finding out that, oh, you need to treat the mold first before you do bee venom therapy. So, yeah. Have, um, have you ever looked into mast cell activation syndrome? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I haven't been diagnosed with that, I don't think. And I'm not the one, not the type to just diagnose myself, but everything in there is totally like what I deal with. So I do a completely, you know, anti-inflammatory, low histamine, like very, very minimal, like basic diet to uh, prevent all of that. Yeah, and I mean, even what you mentioned with the B venom therapy, um, if you had a strong reaction to it, that also kind of makes me think of the mass cell piece, but I know specifically with mold, when you do have a bad mold exposure, that can also bring out mass cell, um, when you're dealing with a history of tick-borne infections, how did you figure out that there was also a mold piece involved? Um, I did a test with my doctor in Canada and she, she told me you have you know, basically you have black mold in your body. And I was like, what? Like, I was just so confused because I'm like, I've never heard of this. Um, so that's, I don't remember exactly what test she did. So she, that's when she did put me on cholestyramine. But then after that, it kind of just went under the radar. and wasn't like, I would bring it up, but it wasn't anything I felt like anybody I was seeing knew how to deal with. And so I did cholestyramine, I did, you know, activated charcoal and different binders, which I still do, but I never really found anyone who knew like how to treat it. But anyways, yeah, so she did that. And then I just had a doctor in Colorado. Um, I was like, Hey, I really just want to get like a real, um, I forget, I need to go look and see which test it was, but it was a specific test that showed all the mycotoxins of mold. And it was a lot of different molds and mycotoxins that showed up. So that's still a problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see that a lot where mold is so oftentimes overlooked. And the tricky thing is uh, mold and Lyme work synergistically together. So mold will really suppress your immune system so that the tick-borne infections come out. But oftentimes I feel like when you have the mold under control, so if you're in an environment, a home that is conducive to moving you forward, uh, it's a lot easier to get Lyme and Bartonella and all of these other infections under control. And it's, it's frustrating because, you know, you're going to these Lyme specialists and doctors that, um, that are helping you with the pathogenic piece, but this other toxin piece is such a huge, massive contributor. And even just like listening to some of the symptoms that you've had, a lot of it is kind of saying like red flag, red flag, there's, there's a mold issue here. Um, when you were talking about treatment for mold, you had mentioned cholestyramine, and that's like a really common binder that physicians will put people on. But 
my issue with cholestyramine is it only gets at ochratoxin. So there are so many different mold mycotoxins and it seems like with your test, you came up with a bunch of different mold mycotoxins. Um, but if you're dealing with multiple different mycotoxins, then you need binders that are gonna get at a bunch of them. Um, so like activated charcoal and bentonite clay and zeolite will help you get rid of many more mycotoxins. And then also it's a bit less constipating. And that's important because if you're trying to get uh, toxins out of your system, you, you need to you know be going to the bathroom every day. But if you're taking certain binders that are gonna prevent you to do that, then it's all about balance. And I think that's just like a big piece when you're dealing and treating with tick-borne infections and adding that mole piece and that biotoxin illness treatment in with it, um, making sure that when you do treat with binders, you, you know, you do it a few times a week, not every day. And then mm -hmm. um, also just making sure that your drainage pathways are open. And mm -hmm. that's just like such a huge part of success of treatment and what your body's going to be receptive to and moving forward. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I could learn a lot from you. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I feel like you've definitely been through a lot and you're dealing with a lot of severe symptoms, um, and are looking into really the right remedies and the root cause of what's going on. And, and again, I think this mold piece is a big piece. Um, when you, when you moved back to Tennessee, did you ever do testing on your home that you're currently living in? So we just moved into a brand new build, which is exactly i'm like all right that's that's all i wanted was just a brand new build because i mean obviously it can be i mean i don't know what your thoughts are on it but i was like if it's brand new i think we're good so we didn't do any testing on it but yeah i mean we just moved in and i will say that like i already feel like i've improved a lot just being being there so that's amazing i feel like building biology is a big part of something to look into again when dealing with tick-borne infections the great thing about newer homes is usually there are um, less years so less years of possible leaks uh, and even with like heating and cooling systems like a lot of new homes today have like hvac systems so central air mm -hmm. and uh, forced heat but i think that because you have gone through so much. Um, usually I will have my clients test their homes, specifically heating and cooling systems. And, um, and there's a lot of like very affordable tests that you can do yourself. You don't have to um, have an inspector come in because they can be more expensive. But even just hearing that you're in a new build and you're having uh, a lot less symptoms, it seems like that's, that's a really good um, thing moving forward for you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, and so I know that you also had written a book. Can you tell us a little bit about what your book is about and, um, and how you got into that? Yeah. So my book, I started writing it a long time ago, um, when I lived in Canada and it really is just meant to inspire people and give them hope. Um, and it's not just like, I mean, it's definitely a lot about like my story and stuff, but it's written in a way to connect with people and just be relatable and to encourage people to keep fighting. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it just out of pure desperation to find purpose in my pain and um, it's just been really cool to see um, how it's blessed people and even people without chronic illness. It's I just I wrote it to bring hope to people because that like and definitely it's about my faith as well. And but a lot more. It's not just like it's I don't know. I feel like I'm talking it up a lot. But yeah, I mean, I just I, I love writing and it was it was just such a uh it was such a healing thing to be able to put to words everything that has happened in my life. And then for people to be blessed by it was even more cool and healing. So, yeah. 
I think um, one of the hardest parts of Lyme disease is feeling alone and just it being such a misunderstood disease. So when you're able to read someone else's journey and relate to it, that makes you feel a lot less alone. And uh, yeah, I think that's a huge gift to give this to give to this community because um, we all wanna be supportive of each other and understand that we're not the only ones going through this and uh, there is hope in moving forward. Did you um, talk about any treatments specifically that really helped you in, in moving forward? Or can you think of one that, uh, yeah, that was a huge benefit to you? Yeah, I mean, the whole book, it, it goes through every treatment I did. Um, and then in the back of the book, it's right here. It just is like, what has helped me? And it goes through all the things that have helped me. So, you know, enemas, the HBOT, cryotherapy, liposomal glutathione, uh, ozone, infrared sauna, DNRS, brain retraining really helped me. Um, nutritional IVs, mimosa paducah seed, uh, products called Plexus, eating low histamine, um, GABA, like just different supplements for stress and everything and then i put like different books and stuff that have helped me too so yeah well i'm, I'm gonna jump in real quick i just want to repeat the name of your book and correct me if i'm wrong i believe it's silent suffering finding um finding god's faithfulness in chronic lyme disease is that correct yes so and it's available on amazon again it's silent silent suffering finding god's faithfulness in chronic lyme disease and it's available on amazon and you not only talk about your journey but all the various healing modalities you've used and if they were successful or not so successful in your journey, correct? Yes. I'd like to jump into one particular treatment or tool you just mentioned, which is Plexus, right? Because it's really interesting. I want to see what your views are on it, Lauren and Michelle, your views are, because when I first entered the Lyme social media community, I was bombarded and overwhelmed by Plexus marketers, I'll call them for lack of a better word, trying to you know be really aggressive telling me Plexus can cure my chronic Lyme disease. And anytime I hear something like, hey, this is going to cure your chronic Lyme disease, I'm like, yeah, no, nah, not going to happen, yeah. right? We know it's never one thing. So it just really left a bad taste in my mouth for Plexus, but there were a lot of powerful testimonials that I would hear from people that I would meet. So if you could just tell us, Lauren, your experiences in Plexus and what specific type, I think there's different types of Plexus, different types of drinks and things like that. And then Michelle, if you can kind of piggyback off that when Lauren's done and just let us know if you have any experience with it as well and, and what your thoughts are. Yeah. So I had been told about it for years too. And I was always super turned off by the way people were coming across about it. And I was like, I'm not going to take this. And then I had a family member. Uh, she's like my cousin or second cousin. And she basically called me and was like, Hey, I just really feel like these supplements are going to help you. So I'm going to just buy you three months worth. And you just try them and tell me how they are. Cause I know that you spend all your money on treatment already. And I'm not going to make you spend more money on something else. You don't know if it's going to help you. So I started taking them and this was summer 2021. And initially it was just like, okay, I feel like I have a little bit more energy. Like I'm out of bed more. I'm feeling a little bit better. And then kind of like mood improvement with one of the supplements called vital biome. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then, um, what else? I mean, it really like during that time of taking it, I wasn't like, obviously I was using all of my tools for Lyme, but I don't think I was like actively treating Lyme during those few months. Cause I had just gotten out of like a really intense, um, flare and treatment. And so I was like, all right, I just need to lay low. But within those three months, I went from being in bed all the time. That's when I was like, really intensely finishing my book. And then, um, I started like working and started just being way more active and was able to like go on walks with my husband and like, just do all the things that I wasn't able to do before. So I really think they're great, but I also can't stand it when people say stuff like it'll heal your Lyme. And people do say that they had Lyme and it like pretty much healed them. That's definitely not my case. And I've made that clear to everyone who is in plexus, like, Hey, if people have mold issues, if people have chronic Lyme, like if there's underlying things, it's not going to 
completely cure that because those things like need to actually be treated, but it does balance out your gut microbiome and a lot of other helpful things. So I, I mean, I've had good experience with it. I actually, um, I haven't worked with a lot of people that have used it and I haven't used it myself, but what I do love about all the treatments that you listed in your book is that it's looking at so many different factors and looking at the body as a whole. So even like a DNRS, uh, retraining your limbic system, trying to get it out of fight or flight mode. Um, yeah, that's a huge part of, of moving forward and then using nutrients to move forward. Um, Anything specific that you did with antimicrobials? Um, I am on now I'm on the Dr. Cowden protocol. So all Nutramedics stuff. So that's what I'm currently doing. And yeah, I used to take some different antimicrobials. Um, those are antimicrobials, right? Yeah. All, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Those are herbal antimicrobials. Those are perfect. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've taken tons of antimicrobials over the years, just from different, you know, doctors and stuff. And there was one called immune BART by microbe formulas. And I did, I did well with that. It had probably, I don't know how many different things in it, but it was really helpful. I mean, I'm very sensitive. So there's certain things that it's like, Ugh, I can't, or I just do one drop and I stay at that drop for like four days or five days. And then I go to two drops. Like I have to just be really gentle with myself, but I will say that there's definitely been a lot. And I do feel like the cabinet protocol is definitely helping me already. Um, and I've never, I was on Bandural and Cemento like six or seven years ago. And that helped a ton. Um, and so I'm doing all of that again too. So, yeah. I think you mentioned a key point of, um, going kind of like low and slow. And that's one of the hardest things when you're dealing with tick-borne infections, because you feel so crummy and you've already been through such a journey before you've been like getting a diagnosis. Now you're finally diagnosed and you're trying all these different treatments and you just, you know, you want to get better. No one wants to be sick. No one has time to be sick anymore. Um, and and when you are so sensitive dealing with tick-borne infections and biotoxin illness, um, and also just like the trauma piece of dealing with a chronic illness, it's, it's hard to really take time and listen to your body and see how it processes different treatments. And so I think what you did about, you know, going slowly, trying one drop, seeing how your body responds and then slowly going up is one of the most important things that people can learn during the treatment process, because it's almost like fast is, is slow. Um, you know, you go too fast and you have a flare up and you feel really crummy and it's like one step forward, two steps backwards, but it's all about listening to your body and we all respond to things differently. So to slowly start introducing treatments one by one, seeing what your body can handle and then allowing yourself to move forward is key in the recovery. Definitely. Uh, what part of the Lyme journey has uh, taught you more about yourself and the world that only suffering can teach? There's so many things I could say. I mean, you know, you're forced to just really slow down and kind of take inventory of everything and what you're living for and what, what's important to you and what you value. And so I think, you know, for me, it's like, do I, are the people in my life, are the relationships in my life, like, are they really genuine relationships? You know, like, I feel like I just got rid of all like the fake stuff. Cause you just, I feel like you just go so deep into trauma and suffering that it's like, the people who really care for you, they will show up, you know? Um, so it definitely made me just rethink, I mean, really every aspect of my life, like, why am I here? What am I doing? You know, what's my purpose? And so I started to just kind of peel back and think through, you know, what do I what do I want to do with my life? And, you know, it really kind of changed the traje trajectory of everything. And um, I feel like I'm not answering this question great, but um, yeah, I mean, suffering, I think is the greatest teacher. Um, 
you know, it's, it's taught me as well as my husband, just countless lessons of, you know, patience and it's humbling. It's very humbling and it makes you, um, you know, kind of come to the end of yourself. And I guess for me, it's brought me a lot closer to God as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that the Lyme community, um, what I, I completely agree with you, what, what you said, it gives you a new perspective on things. Uh, and especially like who steps up, who doesn't, who's worth having in your life and helping you move forward and, um, and, and slowing down. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can relate to all of that. I've experienced that as well. And when something stressful does happen, it's kind of like, okay, let me slow down. Like it could be worse. It has been worse. How am I going to use these tools to help me move forward? And it seems like that's what you've, you've done. And it, the coolest part is like one of the tools and um, what you're passionate about is, is writing. So you've been able to use that gift and, uh, and give it back to the community, which is pretty amazing. Really impressive. Lauren, I want to just thank you so much for joining our Take Bootcamp podcast. I know you have so much to offer and we barely scratch the surface here today on this interview. So I want to encourage everybody once again, listening to this podcast to go find your book, which is Silent Suffering, Finding God's Faithfulness in Chronic Lyme Disease, available on Amazon. And I also want to encourage everybody listening, if they're looking for additional support and they need some guidance in their Lyme journey, to go look up Michelle. She's brilliant. We absolutely love Michelle. We follow her and Rich and I look up to her as, as a mentor. And you can go look her up at the thelimespecialist.com. So that's thelimespecialist.com to learn about how Michelle can help you in your healing journey. So Michelle, thank you so much for coming on and co-hosting this interview with, with me today. And Lauren, thank you so much for spending time out of your day to share what you've learned with our community. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was nice to be here. I love what you guys do in supporting the community and advocating for everyone. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Lauren, please check out her Instagram, lowmurf93. Also, check out her book and leave a review of how it helped you on your Lyme journey. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.